0: And so we enter the season of Lent. This being the first of the Sundays, is in preparation for our Easter celebrations. It all was set in motion this past Wednesday, Ash Wednesday service. Some of you, I look out over the congregation this morning, uh, were present for the imposition of ashes in the form of a cross upon our foreheads. Um, it was quite an interesting day. If you watch the newspaper, you realize that Jonathan and I had been busy with a group of pastors earlier in the day over at Georgia Southern Campus and then downtown in front of the courthouse, uh, giving those persons who would allow us to uh, the imposition of ashes as well, that mark from dust, you have come to dust, you shall return. Uh, I had much question about it in my mind before going there with this, Joan Killian Uh, the priest over at the Episcopal Church here in town, Trinity Episcopal, had asked a couple of months ago if I would help out with this. And I said, well, how about let's get some other ministers to be involved as well. She had done this by herself last year. And so we joined not only uh, together here in Statesboro, but we joined with a lot of other ministers I am learning across our nation who are practicing something called Ashes to Go. Now, uh, you have to realize that that there is there is a disquiet among some preachers, and so this is a preacher battle that's raging right now as to whether we should be doing this or not. I have fallen onto the side of those who believe that we should. It was quite an eventful day uh, for us uh, there on the southern campus there were students that were changing classes and headed this way and that by the hundreds. And not all took even an interest in glancing our directions, but several did. In fact, quite a few did. And in in the process of our being there for a couple of hours, uh, some students engaged us in conversation. I remember particularly one student that came over and asked, he said, I just... I just don't understand it. What are what are y'all doing? What are you about here? And so we began to explain to him that Ash Wednesday was the beginning of Lent and that as a mark of our mortality that we carry the cross in the form of ashes on our forehead, but that we are all alive in Christ. And we asked then, would you like us to put ashes on your forehead? And And he stood there very still, and he said, no, I don't think so. He said, and I liked this, he said, I've got to think some more about this. And I lifted my finger, and I said, listen, what year are you in school? And he said, I'm a sophomore. I said, next year, we will be back in this location. If you have thought about it and would like to receive, we will be here. He said, I'll remember that. He was a young fellow that very much intended to think this through. My daughter was among those that I was humbled to place ashes upon this past Wednesday. Rachel, who lives here in town with us. And as she came, it's, I tell you, a very difficult thing for a father to mark his daughter with ashes because it is not only a reminder to me of my mortality it's a reminder to me of her mortality which I do not want to think about I do not want to think about that but I marked her with ashes and we went on our way She called me a little later in the evening and she said, daddy, she said, I wanna tell you what happened to me. She said, on my way home, I realized I needed to get some gas and so I pulled into a gas station and after I had paid, I was headed back to the car and just outside the door of this little jiffy mart, there was a man and she said, he was really poor. She said, I don't know if he was homeless, but I don't know that he wasn't homeless. But as I walked past him, he looked at me and he said, ma'am, why is it that you have a tattoo on your head? (laughs) And she said, she paused and she said, oh, it's not a tattoo, it's ashes. Uh, This is Ash Wednesday. And we were just at the church and and we were marked with the form of a cross here uh, for the beginning of Lent. And he looked at her and he said, what is Lent? And she said, well, Lent is this 40-day period of preparation for our celebrations of Easter. And I thought to myself, you go girl, you tell them, you're doing great. And and then she said to me something fascinating because, because this man looked at her and after just a few moments, he said, he said, you reckon dirt would work? And she looked at him and she said, Well, I suppose it would, just as well as ashes. And with that, he leaned over and put his finger in the dirt on the ground and raised it to mark himself with the sign of the cross on his forehead. And he said, I'll think on this too. How much are you thinking about all of this right now? Have you taken it in that this is the beginning of, of have a very contemplative season. Is this a time that cuts through to the heart of your spirit, your soul, and connects you with righteousness, with holiness, with this searching? This sermon series that we're beginning is entitled, Who is this Man? And today we're considering the question, Who is this Man Who Overcomes Temptation? the question is not only who is this man but what do we do with the idea of overcoming temptation in the reading uh, this morning Francois I love to hear you read in fact I sat there thinking I would like to hear you preach as well Um, your sharing is so beautiful and it's so fitting that you should use the King James Version too because the Gideons have been focused on King James for a long time haven't they And it is a beautiful reading before us. Jesus, fresh up out of the waters of the Jordan, it says to us in that passage, went up into the wilderness. We sort of think of going out into the wilderness, but he went up into the wilderness, which lets us know that he probably was up in those hills somewhere there around Jericho. Somewhere there outside of Jerusalem, he was there for a period of discernment, this seeking of clarity. Does Jesus need to seek clarity? I mean, this is the Son of God. Does he need to seek clarity? Who doesn't need to seek clarity? He was beginning his ministry. You remember that he was seeking clarity even as he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. Here he is seeking clarity for his missional purpose. It is not an easy thing to empty yourself taking on the form of a servant. This is something of great importance. There as he prayed, he was in battle with Satan himself. I tell you, we fight some of our greatest battles when we are alone. Oh, I know that the crowd may lead you astray. Usually those matters are first decided when we are alone, aren't they? Really? Don't we sort of make the decision which way we're going to go on these matters of faith? Who knows where Matthew and Luke got this story? Mark doesn't say anything about it. John doesn't say really anything about it. Mark does tip his hat to the fact that he went away and was tempted, but who knows where Matthew and Luke got this story? Some scholars say that they had a resource amidst the two of them, and they may well have. They were writers of the telling of the story of Jesus. And it looks as if they had access to some document, maybe some other gospel that we don't have because it didn't make it into these pages. But they included it because it was there for them to look over. You look at the words between Matthew and Luke's writing, and you'll see it's almost verbatim. Why in the world wouldn't Mark put something in there about it? He wrote pretty forthrightly. Now, John, I can sort of understand... The spiritual nature of his life and his understanding of the word, he was headed in a little different direction theologically for us all. But here we are with this story of Jesus there in the wilderness. Jesus shared this with someone. It wasn't something that was important for him to keep to himself, he shared it with someone, maybe with all of his disciples. He shared with them the beginnings of this ministry. These temptations that he had takes a great person to admit the temptations that they have faced. This defining of his life as Messiah, this inner integrity was almost a credentialing of himself among the people I could imagine. For all of us know how susceptible we are to caving into temptation. Henry Nowen was reflecting on his own life and as well as on Jesus's when he wrote the book, In the Name of Jesus, Reflections on Christian Leadership. We're reading through this book as a church staff these days. In that book he reflects on this temptation of Jesus as really being a reflection for Christian leaders as well who are eternally tempted to be relevant. They are eternally tempted to be spectacular in some way and eternally tempted to be powerful in some way. Now, you don't see this, but from a clergy standpoint, I see it all too well. This going out into the wilderness was dealing with the things of personal nature, but also of corporate nature, dealing to clarify for himself and for Satan as well and for all of the world who Jesus was going to be in this world the temptations are there and pretty clear you know one way you look at the temptations and we think to ourselves boy satan was one conniving and evil dude you look at it from another angle and you think to yourself what's so bad about changing stones into bread right come on jesus fed five thousand with five, what was it, five fish and two loaves? I've got that opposite, don't I? It? Five loaves and two fish. Thank you, Bob. I was looking for Bob, the reference man here in front of me. I it all the time too. <laughs> but you get it, Jesus, Jesus. How did he come up with that food? Was he turning stones into bread? Who knows? But he was doing something magical. And as he was walking on the water, I mean, it wasn't that he was floating through the air, but it was almost as if. Come on now. How did that happen? There Satan is... Casting out his temptations, maybe it is all about the wrong timing on things. Maybe the danger in what Satan presents to us is about the wrong timing and the self serving that is represented in these temptations. I don't know if you've ever heard preachers talk about prosperity as if it is their given right. It's a very dangerous path to go down. Them shouting out to the congregations that gather by the thousands the words of Jesus himself as they holler, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And one pastor, I understand, has trained his congregation. When he says abundantly, he says, and what does abundantly mean? And they respond to him, it means a whole lot of stuff. (laughs) Now, you and I don't do that here. We think to ourselves that we're above such ways of thinking, but I don't know that we are. For is this an ease that we see that prompts us to believe that in some way the blessings of wealth are the blessings of God in particular, in particular. This is something that is a very dangerous Path down which we tread i witnessed two years ago an easter egg hunt where the parents that were involved in helping to get the easter eggs together for the hunt were far more generous than any of them had ever expected to be there were thousands of eggs to be found thousands of eggs scattered out on the church lawn and the 40 children that raced out when given permission with their baskets to pick up those eggs were a sight to behold because those baskets couldn't hold all the eggs that they were finding their baskets were leaking eggs everywhere When they would put them in, they would fall out the other side, but it didn't stop them. They were going to spend all of the time picking up those eggs. You remember that luxury car commercial from a few years back, which simply said, isn't it time you did something just for you? Isn't that a telltale sign of the human condition? Isn't it time you did something just for you? Why? This is the way we think all the time. (laughs) And we don't relate it to Satan, do we? Nah. Let me tell you, Jesus did. Jesus did. And then Satan comes to speak to him about being on top of the temple at the very precipice there. Now, he could have taken him to any point there on the edge of a mountain, looking out over a ledge, and have said to him, well, throw yourself off, and the angels will surely, surely scoop you up before you hit bottom. But it wasn't about that. It was about the spectacle of it all. You see, this had to be a public thing. And there are so many that give in to the idea that this is exactly what the church needs to do in order to gain its importance in the world, become a spectacle or to follow spectacles because this is what is supposed to be to draw the attention of the world Fred Craddock, a professor of mine, years ago in seminary, I can still remember him saying, I have a difficult time with those who strut in the name of the one who washed feet. (laughs) But Satan is not to be deterred. And so he comes back at Jesus even as Jesus explains to him the scripture in a way that he can't understand. He comes back. And there he shows him all the world. Almost like Moses on the mount. As far as the eye can see. Satan says, there it is at your feet. If you worship me, it's all yours. And of course... He sends Satan packing as he responds. It is written, worship the Lord your God and serve only him because he is not going to be trapped into the idea that the world is Satan's to begin with. This world belongs to God and no one else. Jesus surrounded himself with the presence of God. In fact, not only was God around him, God was within him. I'm always asking myself a question in my preparing to preach. What does this have to do with Jesus? I ask myself, And what in the world does it have to do with me? Let me tell you, if you're facing temptation, as we all face temptation, you don't want God to just be around you. Friends, you need God within you. Who is this man? who overcomes temptation.